We have a guest, guest preacher this morning. He was here two weeks ago. Uh, Dick Leon is the uh, former senior pastor of this church. He was here before I came, led this church very effectively, very well for 15 years. He's also, just on a personal note, as you know, you've heard me talk about this before, he has been a great mentor and a great advisor uh, and a great guide to me. He is exceedingly wise and a very good preacher, so we're lucky to have him twice this summer. Would you please welcome back to our pulpit, Dick Leon. You don't believe everything he says, do you? Come on. Come on. That's too much. Well, hi again. Good to be back. I started a couple of weeks ago with a, a two-part sermon, which is checking up on you. And uh, two weeks ago, I wanted to check up on your inner life to find out how you're believing your faith issue. And today, I want to talk about your outer life, find out whether you're behaving yourselves. The more I got into this sermon on behavior, the more I realized this is a very tricky subject. I mean, there are a number of pitfalls that it would not be hard for me to fall into. Uh, on the one side uh, is the pitfall sort of of legalism, uh, which we sort of think uh, he's told us what to do, and uh, by telling us what to do, this is how we get into the kingdom. And the bottom line of that sermon was, Go be good. You know, that sounds like a Chinese dish, doesn't it? Go be good is kind of a... <laughs> that, that's one pit. That's sort of the pit of legalism. On the, on the other side, uh, if we're saved by grace, uh, hey, anything goes. Uh, and that's sort of the pit of universalism. And I'd like to find a, a, a narrow ledge in between these two pits and uh, see if I can find the balance in this middle round. Uh, and uh, the title I've, uh, I've chosen for this, Behavior That Bubbles Up, is trying to communicate this middle ground. The notion that Christian behavior is not something imposed upon us by the law, but rather something which emerges from within us. That God has come, first of all, to change our heart. And as He changes, as he changes our hearts then a new pattern of behavior will emerge. Look again at the text that uh, Scott read for us. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is nothing you have done. You have had nothing to do with what God did, so that there's no room for boasting. The heart and center of the Christian faith, unlike, by the way, all other religions in the world, it doesn't focus on what we do to be right with God. It focuses on what God has done in order to enable us to be right with Him. It is the astounding, remarkable, unexpected, unpredictable, undeserved news of the grace of God that comes to make us right with Him. We have done nothing about it. We cannot do anything about it. I love the little line that uh, Mark Twain uses. He said, heaven goes by God's favor. If heaven went by merit, my dog would get in and I'd never make it. <laughs> and that's the heart of the Christian faith, isn't it? That whole theme which Paul is stressing in this text. But that does not mean behavior doesn't count. 
that does not mean that there aren't some expectations of Christian behavior. It says that the behavior that will emerge from us is something that God is doing through us. It's bubbling up out of us. You know, the text goes on where Paul says, God has created us in Christ Jesus, and perhaps you could almost rephrase it, has recreated us, created us again, in other words, in Christ Jesus, it's a new life in Him, for good works. Not for twiddling our thumbs, but for good works. And out of this comes a new way of life. So this is the challenge uh, that I, I'm trying to find, a, find an answer for today. How do we describe authentic Christian behavior without making it sound like this is the way we're right with God or without saying that it doesn't matter what you do? That uh, Christian behavior is important, it is significant, uh, it, but it is something that comes from within. Well, the way to do that, I think, is to find out what Scripture teaches about Christian behavior. And, and, the, and here's another problem we face. I, I realized as I went into this even more, and I, I trapped myself again by this. Here, the Old Testament has a very simple code, the Ten Commandments, then which is elaborated by to 600 different rules and regulations, a very clear set of rules of how to behave. The New Testament has no equivalent. In the New Testament, there is no single uh, codified ethical teaching. So we have a lot of ethical advice in certain episodes, sort of episodic ethics, you might call it, but no single overriding theme. There is one umbrella theology, which I think applies in every case, and it's the theology of the cross. Uh, the cross is the self-giving love of God. Jesus shows that. Remember, Paul in Philippians sort of sets the tone for this. He says, have this mind among you, which you have in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped or exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being form in, born in human likeness, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the overarching theology of New Testament ethics, that the self-giving love of Jesus will be replicated in you and me. He will move us from self-serving love, which is the world we mostly live in, to self-giving love. Now, under that large umbrella of the theology of the cross, I can find in the New Testament three broad areas in which New Testament ethics emerges. Uh, and let me see if I can help you uh, sort of see the shape of these. I have the wrong size ear, I think, for this. Do you have to have a certain size ear for this thing to hang in there? I need to grow my ear or something. But it's, uh, and uh, here, are the, here are the three areas. And each, each of these areas has a sort of a theological foundation. And the first one... Uh, is the area, uh, the theology of the new creation. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, We are a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has already come. In Romans 6, Paul says, Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. There's a new quality of life in the new creation that God brings to us. And Paul in Colossians, 
has this very interesting set of ethical uh, advice. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And then he uses the imagery of clothing. Put off your old garments. And he names a variety of things that we would all be familiar with. Fornication, impurity, anger, wrath, malice, jealousy, greed. How far do you want me to go? I mean, it goes forever, doesn't it? We're all familiar with these. Put those off and then clothe yourselves, the reverse action, with compassion, kindness, meekness, humility, patience. Be forgiving of one another. Let the love of Christ bind all of these together. Be at peace. Let the peace of Christ rest within you. And be thankful. A whole new set of virtues. And these are the virtues that Jesus Christ will, eat, will plant within us and they will emerge from within as the life of Christ takes shape in our lives. Now, the question should be asked, then will all Christians look alike? Will all of us have the same set of, of, uh, of ethical uh, values that we all express? I don't, I don't think so. I, I love the story uh, that's told of a, a famous woman uh, who was speaking at a Christian conference, and after she finished this lecture, in a give, give and take time, a, a guy raised his hand and he says, you know, I appreciate what you've said, but ma'am, I'd like to say that I'm really very disappointed in your life. I mean, some of your language and some of your behavior just does not seem Christian at all. And uh, her answer is perfect. She says, uh, I appreciate your concern, young man, but she says, if you knew me before I became a Christian and before I met Christ, <laughs> you would have to say there is a marked improvement. <laughs> and that's what we all need to look for. Is there a marked improvement in our life? Has God cleaned up our act? Whatever that act may be. You know, uh, uh, what, what this means is every, every sort of station of life that we live in will become different. Whether we're single and our relationship with friendships, whether we're married as a husband and a wife, whether we're a parent as a uh, mother and a father or, or as a child, or in our working world, whether we are the boss, whether we'll be fair and honest with our employees, or whether we're working for someone else and we'll do a faithful job and be faithful in that realm, all, or whether we're a, as a citizen, whether we'll more gladly pay our taxes rather than look for loopholes. Nobody's paying taxes these days. We ought to step up and take the lead. All of the areas of life will be different as the, 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 the Christ model of self-giving love emerges from us. Now, now a word to the husband here. This means more than just doing the dishes. Uh, but that's not a bad idea, by the way. I don't know if you've heard this, uh, but you know a lot of studies on marriage, what makes marriage work, and so forth. And there's nothing is uh, there's no single rule that seems to be without contradiction, except one sociological uh, fact that emerged from all the studies of marriage. Uh, and this is, this is uh, uncontrovertible. N nobody has found an exception to this. And the rule goes like this. No husband has ever been shot doing the dishes. <laughs> That's a good rule. Stay by the kitchen, guys. You're better off there. Keep doing the dishes. But when we say that Christ will clean, our, clean up our act, it doesn't mean he just takes the garbage out. 
It means he also brings to us a whole new quality of life. The gifts of the Spirit, love, patience, joy, peace. There's a plus, not just a minus, in cleaning up our act. Okay, that's the first realm built on the theology of the new creation. God will clean up our act. The second realm that is very obvious all through the New Testament is God's creation of a new community. Jesus says in, Mark, uh, in uh, Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter says in his letter, uh, like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. That's the church. Paul in Corinthians spent a lot of time talking about the church and the bod as the body of Christ and each of us as members of the body with different gifts and that all our gifts are to be used for the upbuilding of the body and for the common good. So the second way that the Holy Spirit will work in the life of a Christian is they will be they will find themselves building up the body of Christ. Now, I think in our current culture we may be a little surprised the church has that prominent a role because uh, we have kind of an anti-institutional attitude in our world, don't we? And the church is an institution. We'll kind of play around the edges, but we don't want to get too involved. Uh, and uh, the church is pretty widely maligned in the press. Anytime the press can get a bad story about the church, it's a headline. They don't do much on the good stories, but they love the bad ones. Uh, now, we've not exactly uh, been innocent. I think we've deserved a lot of the garbage that, that, that we get. Uh, I don't need to go through the whole list of troubles, but one strikes me recently is the, the California pastor. Remember recently, the California pastor who predicted the end of the world was uh, going to be May 21. And then he was very sad when it didn't happen. Uh, that's strange, is it? So he changed the date to October 21. So beware. Why are we not surprised that kind of idea came out of California? What, what I mean, does that seem... That yeah, does seem kind of natural, doesn't it? But for every bad example, there are literally millions of healthy churches around the world, faithful communities of God's people who are nothing less than light in the midst of the darkness. This church is a huge shining example of the gospel in our community. I love what Leslie Newbigin, one of my favorite uh, British theologians, said. Uh, he said, the only hermeneutic God bless these theologians for the big words they love to use. Hermeneutic means interpretive principle. So the only interpretive principle of the gospel to our modern world, what do you think he's going to say? Is a congregation that believes it and lives it. The only interpretive principle of the gospel to the modern world is a congregation that believes it and lives it. For all the troubles the church has had through the years, it still is God's chosen instrument to reach a hurting world. And so God's Spirit will bubble up within us and we will find ourselves building up the church. Now the third area, realm, of ethics that we find in the New Testament comes from the theology of a new world. Jesus says, you will have trouble in the world, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
We know the John 3.16 passage. God so loved the world, the cosmos, that he gave his only son. And that kind of love, the love of the cross, the self-giving love of Christ will replicate in us and we will find ourselves with a new compassion and service heart for the world around us. Now, to talk about the world is kind of audacious, huge. I mean, change the world. What is this? But the church is a huge help. This church particularly is a huge help to you. This church screens all kinds of different agencies and, and uh, has relationships with people all over the world, so you know there are reliable avenues to contribute to the well-being of the world right here through our own congregation. What Peter and Wendy are doing in Japan. How, how can you respond to the crisis in Japan kind of broadly Except here we have someone who's there of our own family uh, working. And we have an avenue then uh, through their ABC ministries uh, to support them and be of help. And that's what I think the Holy Spirit will bubble up within us. A new compassion for the world in that way. The two words that emerge in the New Testament as the characterization of our concern for the world, I think, are peace and justice. That we will be peacemakers and we will seek justice for the oppressed and the poor. I don't know if you ever remember hearing about the, what was called the Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson, who didn't believe in miracles, uh, took the New Testament and cut out, literally cut out everything in the New Testament that had a miracle in it. Uh, all of the supernatural things around Jesus. He ended up with a very holy Bible, one way or another. Uh, all kinds of holes in it. Well, Jim Wallace uh, of Sojourners said, if you took the New Testament and you cut out all the passages having to do with uh, uh, justice, peace, oppression, the poor, and the church's ministry to it, you would take one of every 16 verses out of the New Testament. That's how dominant this theme of social justice is in the Bible. Anybody who says otherwise doesn't know what the Bible is all about. So the Holy Spirit will enable us to care for the world in a new way and serve the world. This church has so many things. I'm so proud of what Scott and the rest of you have done in, the, in joining. What New Testament calls us, we are partners with God in the Missio Dei, the mission of God. What an ennobling fact for our life that we are God's partners in his work in the world. And think, there's not time to tell you all the things that are going on. I spent this last week, I went out and talked to Brent Christie at the Jubilee Reach Center. Our church started that uh, five or six years ago, and now it's uh, a part of the, it's not just owned by us. And it's one of the strengths, by the way, of this church, that we're not so egocentric, that it has to have our name on it. It's concerned for the whole community, and the whole community now owns it. And it has one of the most effective ministries to people uh, who are in need that I've ever seen, both spiritual and social. Uh, education, health, uh, kids' uh, preschool uh, programs, after-school programs, uh, um, cultural disorientation for people who are uh, immigrants and need language help, marital discord, all kinds of things. There are too many ways you can volunteer your time and effort and support that. And it's terrific. Nothing like it that I know. 
Or how about the service day yesterday? Over a thousand people. Again, our church started that. And again, without ego, it now has 20, more than 25 churches supporting this day of service to the people, the schools, and the homes of our community. That's what the Holy Spirit does within us when he bubbles within us, bubbles up within us, a new compassion to serve the world around us. There's not time to mention the, the uh, uh, what, Lynn, I don't know if you know Lynn Pelton, and the uh, one woman in our church four years ago had a passion for uh, the amputees in Sierra Leone. After 10 years of civil war, there were uh, hundreds, uh, thousands of kids who were uh, legs and arms cut off. Brutal. And now, through uh, Greatest Goal Ministries, uh, they're getting artificial limbs, started by a woman here in our church. We're making a difference in the world. There's the Champion Center in uh, Rwanda. Uh, there's Deeper Impact. Uh, the, uh, so many things. And that's exactly what I think God will call all of us to do. All right. That's my checkup on you, on your, inner, on your outer life. Uh, and here's kind of a summary of what it's like. There are three realms, three areas uh, that God will uh, move you from within uh, to be uh, active in. The first is the realm, because of the new creation, God will help clean up your act. The second is the new community, God will help you build up your church. And the third is a new world under the Lordship of Christ, and God will move within you uh, to serve up your world. So, I hope I've kept that little precipice between go be good and anything goes. Uh, the answer really is not go be good, it's go with God. And God will transform your life that you will become more and more after the likeness of Jesus Christ in his self-giving love of the cross. Now let me give you a homework assignment. Two things I want you to do. I want you to make a list at home of the things you have seen God already do in your life. Cleaning up your act, building up your church, and serving your world. Put those down and rejoice. Be, uh, be glad, and you'll recognize the joy that those have brought to you in your life. Then secondly, make a list of the things. Here are the places I would be willing to let God's Spirit work in my life to clean up my act even more to serve, to build up my church even more and to serve my world even more. God's always there knocking on the door of our heart, wanting to do more. We're a work in progress. None of us are finished product. But God wants to complete what he started in Jesus Christ. And he does that by the gift of his Holy Spirit bubbling up within us to be more like Jesus in our world. Pray with me. Mighty God, thank you so much uh, for what you have done. You have found us in many places, in many pits of trouble. But you have loved us so much, you've not left us there. You have come in to transform us, to take our brokenness and to heal it, to fix our life and turn our life around. Thank you so much for that gift of your spirit, which we all see bubbling up within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.